Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Uh-oh. Guess what day it is. Julie. Huh? Julie. Huh? Guess what day it is. Guess what day it is. Guess what day it is. <laughs> Anybody? Anybody? Mike, 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 Mike. Huh? What day is it, Mike? Huh? Woo-hoo! Let's guess what today is. Listen, guess what today is? It's hump day. Hump day! Woo-hoo! <laughs> it's hump day. Hump day! Woo-hoo! <laughs> Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Donaldson Files. Uh, be, we'll be followed tonight on this network from by the... Dr. Larry's Resistance Idol with Top. And what we're going to do here tonight, we're going to talk crime, but we're going to kind of hit it from a unique perspective. Uh, You know, Chief Warren Richards has been on this program before. And so what, but he wrote a very interesting article about the impact of family on crime. And we're going to kind of explore that idea. Uh, Because I've said on this show many times that uh, family structure matters, especially in areas of economics, crime, you know, educational attainment, the whole work. And so we're going to discuss all of that, put it together in a package, and show that things that can be done without necessarily, you know, that would be beneficial in the long run for many communities. So. Uh, what I'm going to do here, first of all, uh, I'm going to allow Mr. Uh, Chief Richards, I'm pardon me, Chief Richards, kind of give him give a background uh, of yourself, everything you you know done, and then we'll move on from there. Okay. Well, first of all, Tom, it's so good to talk to you again. I appreciate you inviting me back. It's uh, always a pleasure and an honor, sir. Um, yeah, just uh, give you the Reader's Digest version of uh, of, of my history. Um, I was a, a Chicago police officer and lieutenant uh, for 24 years. I retired in uh, 2015 and then became uh, the chief of police in Martinsburg, West Virginia, um, and uh, did that for five years. So, uh you know, a lot of people ask when I went out there, it's like, wow, how'd you make that transition? And and, and definitely coming from Chicago, it was different, uh, particularly the neighbors, neighborhoods I worked in, um, you know, were the uh, far south side, um, you know, heavy crime, heavy gangs, a lot of violence. Uh, Martinsburg definitely was different. Uh, you know, thank God there was not an organized gang presence there. Uh, you know, low on the violent crime. Uh, but I'll tell you, Tom, I, I never saw a heroin problem, uh, you know, in, until I got to Martinsburg. So, you know, all of West Virginia, 
uh, kind of the whole Appalachian region, you know, really had that opioid crisis, and, and that was really big. Um, and one of the things that I focused on there, and it kind of woke me up, it's something I always thought about working, you know, with gang problems, was, you know, how uh, the family is just so basic to everything that goes on with, you know, drug addiction, you know, delinquency, serious crime, you know, it all starts with that basic building block, the family. Well, this is, you know, like I said, this is, you know, I've always, you know, again, the, the data has backed this up, but you are kind of like the first one in quite a while to make, to make a connection of crime and family structure. And I think this is important because it's something that's rarely talked about. And and you basically, the title of your article, which uh, was published, uh, by the way, this was published in the Federalist? Yes. Yeah. Yep. For, on June the 17th, 2021, this is the title. For less policing, black communities need more married father. All right. Start right there. That's your first okay. quote. Okay. And- Go right from yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's the title, and uh, I get you know I wouldn't call it provocative, but you know this is a thing that you know people always dance around and they don't want to talk about the reality. But the more you look at it, and, and I know you have Tom, you, you studied this extensively. Yeah. Um, you know, and I'm all about being the police, and, and we lock up bad guys and we put them away, and that's what it's all about. But long term. You know, and, and you know, because when we start our conversation, everything starts with the family. So, uh, well, let me back up, you know, kind of like, yeah. you know, the big picture here. You know, every society depends upon people to be self-regulated, you know, you know, to not commit crime, to respect authority, respect other people. And, uh, you know, that's the basis of civilization. You know, we need the police for those few <laughs> that, you know, didn't get that memo and uh, are out of control. But, you know, we expect the vast majority of people uh, to operate, you know, w- with self-control. So, um, you know, so I, I start from that perspective. And, uh, you know, in that article, uh, I actually, you know, start out with a, a quote from uh, – President Barack Obama, he wasn't president at the time, he was running for president in 2008. He gave a very memorable speech on a Father's Day to a, uh, a big uh, black church congregation in Chicago. I, I remember that, you know, because I was working in Chicago at the time. And he really hit on uh, the problems, uh, you know, he focused on the black community in terms of crime, incarceration, poverty. Uh, illegitimacy, uh, you know, uh, poor academic achievement, and he laid it. He laid it out, and he had it right on the head. He talked about that it all comes back to family. That uh, the family is the rock. He called it the rock that we, the most important rock that we base our lives upon. And fathers are absolutely essential. And and he he laid out some stats that are uh, incontrovertible. He said that. A child, any child, growing up in a family without a father in that home is five times more likely to commit crime and end up living in poverty. 
nine times more likely to drop out of school and 20 times more likely to end up in prison. And, uh, you know, those are just the facts. And that's across the board for anybody or for any group. Uh, The crisis that the black community is facing is that the uh, illegitimacy rate, you know, uh, children born out of wedlock without that father in home, nationally it's at 70%. And in these inner city areas, it's as high as 90%. So you just do the math. You know, you know, a kid without a father, you know, 20 times more likely to end up in prison. And then you got a population with 90 percent, you know, uh, concentrated in these inner cities. And you see that explosion in crime. And just one last thing I'll add is that uh, this crisis of fatherhood, which is really a national uh, catastrophe, uh, you know, it's not limited. You know, you know, to the black community, it's it's most intense there, but it's at 52 percent in the Hispanic community and 28 percent in the white community, which is higher than uh, 1965. What the black level was at when uh, Daniel Patrick Moynihan actually saw this and foretold this crisis was coming. So this is across the board, but it's hitting hardest in the black community and you see the repercussions with the incredible outburst of uh, violent crime we're seeing in the inner cities today. Yeah. Well, let me follow up with a question because uh, you know, then you know before we go on break, because I also want to talk about you know in West Virginia, you mentioned this was a heroin capital. <laughs> you got to make it. This may be yeah. the heroin capital of the world. <clears throat> Would you say that many of those white communities that you patrol, that you were the chief of, you'll have similar issues dealing with a high percentage of absolutely single parent. Yeah. <clears throat> absolutely. You know, you know, uh, you know, one of the things, and this is across the board as well, is that when you go into prisons and, uh, uh, you know, look at that adult prison population, uh, which is going to be 98% male to begin with, 85% of those convicts grew up without a father. And that's regardless of race. So now you go into West Virginia, which uh, you know, you know, is probably eighty-two percent, you know, eighty-five percent white, uh, maybe even higher. Uh, you know, as a population, you know, that's the prison population, and you know, and and those uh, white, you know, felons and convicts, same situation. You know, grew up without that father. And the kids you see, you know, in the streets, delinquent, committing crime, uh, which are going to be white out there, same situation. I can almost guarantee you there's no father in the home. And, you know, so, so you know, this is like a universal uh, truth, you know, it is the root cause of crime. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know there, there's no way to get around it. Now, hold on that thought. This time down to it. Uh... Uh, uh, with uh, Chief Maury Richards, we're talking crime, we're talking family structure impact, the first part of the show on crime. And we're going to, you know, the two of us are going to share some data together after this break here in the Donaldson Files and the Bachelor News Radio. Go, Caleb! Come on, hit a homer, Jesse! Go, guys! Hey, did you guys know that kids who play sports earn more money when they grow up? Of course, I, I knew that. 
Hey, did you guys know that kids who read books have a bigger vocabulary? Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> wow, jinx. <laughs> did you guys know that friendly children have more friends? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's true. I knew that. Did you guys know that winter babies are better at music? Everyone knows that. Oh, yeah? yeah pretty obvious. Yeah, yeah so yeah. obvious. Oh, hey, guys, did you know that most people think they're using the right car seat for their kid, but they're not? Huh, I didn't know that. I'm pretty sure I knew that. I'm pretty sure you didn't. Parents who really know it all know for sure that their child is in the right car seat at the right age and size. Visit safercar.gov slash the right seat to make sure your child is protected. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings, wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. We're back here on the Donaldson Files on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Uh, this particular segment is brought to you by the Buffalo Wild Wings. If you want to become a sponsor of the show, uh, contact L.A. Bachelor at labachelor40 at gmail.com. And also, if you want to listen to this show, um, you can listen to it on the bachelornews.airtime.pro. And also, we're on steamyard.com, steamyard.com. So we got... So you can basically listen to this show numerous times in numerous places uh, throughout the Internet. Uh, so anytime you so Donaldson Files, great show. And you can, let like us say, between StreamYard, uh, listen to the, our podcast on the Bachelor News Radio, you know, not the uh, You can catch the show at your convenience. Uh, and so, okay, start off with some statistics here, Maury, and I want to kind of uh, put it in this capacity is this. Uh, all right. Let me see if I can get this. Okay. Um, all right. Young black men, if they have a single, grown up a single, two bio parents, 14%. Uh, you know, they will be incarcerated versus uh, 24% uh, with single parent. Uh, and if they, they're more than twice as likely to graduate from college. Uh, interesting enough, women, uh, the graduation rate is even higher, and the incarceration rate is far lower, which I think is kind of interesting. Uh, then we go to whites. Uh, and we actually kind of see the same thing. Uh, if you eighteen percent, eight percent, if you're single uh, bio parents, young white men, and eighteen percent if they have a single parent, which is more than double. And it's not that much di- off the difference. You know, eighteen versus twenty-four. You know, for black young men, and interesting enough. Again, you know, women are more are less likely to be incarcerated. Period. Regardless, uh, black or white, and they're more likely to graduate from college. 
by a significant amount in both cases. So men as a group are more likely to be incarcerated, and those figures basically are substantially increased with single female, you know, suppose a single parents head of household. Uh, first, my question would throw back to you is this. In both blacks and whites, you have a big difference of women versus men. Why is that? Why are women oh, well, less likely I to be criminals? Well, uh, well, I would say, I mean, number one, um, and I think this is true over, you know, cultures uh, worldwide, is uh, men tend to commit more violent crime than women. Um, you know, and, and I think, you know, you're talking about some, you know, basic, um, uh, I wouldn't call them character traits, but, I mean, it's just human nature that, uh, you know, men have uh, stronger violent impulses, um, uh, you know, stronger sexual impulses. And, you know, these, th- these things need to be controlled. And, you know, uh, a boy growing up uh, needs that, uh, you know, father, uh, you know, or a strong father figure to show him how to be a man, how you control those impulses, how you, uh, you know, you know, turn those things in a positive way. You know, the, you know, uh, you know, boys versus girls, men and women, um, you know, you know, males are tend to be more aggressive. And, you know, so how do you uh, channel that into a positive way? And you need, uh, you know, that father in terms of discipline, in terms of setting a positive example, uh, to do that, and when when you lose it, uh, all hell breaks loose. And you know, like I said, the the proof is sitting in, in inside you know every prison and penitentiary that we have, where eighty five ninety percent of those uh, convicts, uh, you know, which are going to be men, you know, grew up without a dad, you know, in their home. Well, let's go back. But here's the other thing that comes into play because, I mean, like you say, the data is there, and we. You know, and, and certainly if we go back to, let's say, in poverty, uh, it's the same thing. It's, you know, 13% poverty rate for children, you know, for children living with blacks living with two, you know, parents versus 46% living with a single parent. Uh, whites, it's like 5% and 33%. Uh, so you got again. It's a, it's a, you know, basically you can look at these numbers and say, okay, it's like four to five times, regardless, yeah. both economically and crime. Uh, it's so. But let's go back to a point that you bring up, uh, namely, you know, the organization Black Lives Matter. Now they have a totally <laughs> different outlook on the black family, on families in general. Uh, you have to, you know, go ahead. I'm going to let you kind of talk about what you found in your well, lo- yeah. looking at and, their and, view. And thanks, Tom, you know, because, you know, that is uh, really at the heart of some of the big crises we have now. Um, you know, first of all, we should be clear on Black Lives Matter. And I think people are starting to get wise to this. Black Lives Matter is not a civil rights organization. I mean, this is a violent, racist neo-Marxist uh, movement um, that is 
focusing on a couple of things. I mean, they they don't want to reform the police. They want to destroy the police. They believe in abolishing all prisons, abolishing borders, totally dismantling what they call the uh, you know the structure of the Western uh, nuclear family, family uh, and eventually over, overthrow this country. Uh, and at the heart of what they're doing. It also ties back into critical race theory. You know, the Black Lives Matter organization is really kind of like the street incarnation of critical race theory, you know, putting all that into practice. And everything that they've, you know, moved on, the defund the police movement, um, you know, all these things uh, really have that critical race theory at its heart. You know, the whole... Uh, mantra we've heard, you know, not only from Black Lives Matter, but the whole Democrat Party all the way up to, to Biden and Harris, you know, systemic racism, systemic police racism. This is straight out of critical race theory. So this is very dangerous. Uh, people need to be aware of it. Um, you know, almost in, in some cities, it appears to be too late what's going on. And you see the violence now is a direct repercussion of uh, you know this whole ideology when it's put into practice yeah right. we're going to follow up more on that particular aspect a little bit later in the show but I wanted to kind of because they have a totally negative aspect of family structure and they're in effect saying you know we don't you know it doesn't matter and we don't really care if it didn't matter <laughs> uh and so I think, you know, it, it's a thought to, let's say, for example, you're talking, you know, 12 years, 13 years ago, you had a, pres- a black presidential candidate basically saying, hey, it matters. Here are the data. I mean, there's nothing Obama said that you haven't said <laughs> or that I, you know, yeah. so, yeah, I mean, you're basically, in a, I mean, this should be one of those things that people should be in agreement with. Uh, but it's. But obviously, uh, you know, it's kind of like at that point where even common sense doesn't always necessarily per- persevere. <laughs> no, you know, you're absolutely so, right. And, you know, you know, it, it, there's a lot going on. And, and, you know, Tom, we could talk about this for hours. But um, the whole, you know, change in culture, you look at, you know, these uh, critical race theory, cultural Marxists that have uh, taken over our universities and now they're indoctrinating teachers and now on down the line. Uh, You know, there's a real serious, almost hatred of traditional family. Um, And there's a lot of reasons for that. But I'll tell you one thing, if you look at any, you know, communist movement uh, in history, uh, going back to Marx and the Communist Manifesto, one of the things that they know they have to destroy is that traditional family. And if they can break that bond uh, between children and parents, uh, you know, they're on their way to power. And, uh, you know, so, you know, this is part of their whole deal. You know, it, it's, you know, you none know, of this is happening coincidentally. I mean, there's a lot of connections here from tearing down the police to going after the family. Um, you know, it's all connected, and, and we have to see that. You know, if we just focus on one little piece, you know, it's not just getting it out of schools. It's not just trying to straighten out the police. 
this is an absolute attack on our culture, on our country, on our way of life, and, and we have to realize how serious it is. Yeah, it, you know, like I said, it's I mean it's one of those things because you know, again, like I say, it's. Uh, uh, because I look at this, and you know, I, you know, I, you know, it's one of those things that's common sense. You know, it's, I mean, the data. I mean, here's the thing. I mean, a lot of the data is data you could literally look at for five decades. You know, if I sat back and and looked at the 1970, 1980 data, uh, the results would essentially be the same. Uh, they essentially be the same. So. You know, I, I'm kind of like at this point where uh, you sit back and you say to yourself, you know, this is common sense. This is the data. It's five decades old that you could literally go back to. But here we are. Uh, you know, we're still discussing it as an issue. I mean, still saying, hey, here's a problem. And, uh, and, and, I, and I think, quite frankly, it bothers me in the sense that I mean, this is easy data to obtain. Uh, <laughs> and, and, no, no, you're right. I mean, it's right out there in, in front of your face. Um, you know, I, I think there's a number of problems there. And one of the problems, one of the big ones, is that there are very powerful interest groups uh, that, you know, don't want to follow that to its proper conclusion. You know, if we spend uh, energy and money and resources, uh, you know, and making it like a national project to rebuild families uh, all across this country, you know, starting in the black community where the crisis is the worst, uh, that would put a lot of people out of business, okay? I mean, look at (laughs) Al Sharpton's and Jesse Jackson's. I mean, these people thrive on having disorder and chaos and broken families. And, and uh, you know, if people could take care of their own problems, uh, you know, hustlers like that, you know, who are into the, you know, the race grievance industry, uh, they'd have to go find, a, you know, find honest work. <laughs> you know, so there's, there's a lot yeah. of interests uh, out there that, don't want to see this data because you're absolutely right, Tom. It's so clear. Uh, yeah. you know, Hold on to that. Don't, don't want, yeah. 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 We're going to follow up on that. Hold on to that. It's Tom Donson uh, with Maury Richards here on the, the Wednesday edition of the Donaldson Files. We're here supporting the resistance. Uh, or should I say we're here to support and try to save the try to save America one show at a time. <laughs> Tom Donaldson here on the Donaldson Files on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings, wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where pro. A boy born in Joplin, Missouri was fascinated by anything with wheels and a motor. The odds of him going on to fascinate millions with his talent? One 
in 260,000. The odds of this born racer having 157 career top 10 finishes in NASCAR? One in 125 billion. But every driver seeks the pinnacle of their achievements. The odds of him winning both the Daytona 500 and the Brickyard 400 in the same year? One in 195 million. The odds of a child being diagnosed with autism? One in 88. I'm NASCAR driver Jamie McMurray, and my niece has autism. Learn more at autismspeaks.org slash signs. Early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to the Donaldson Files here at the Bachelor News Radio Network. You can listen to this show on the bachelornews.airtime.pro every day. We're at 3 p.m. Central Time. Um, and 10 a.m. Central Time on the bachelornews.airtime.pro. And don't forget steamyard.com. You can also listen to this show at your convenience. If you want to join the fun and and ask questions of Chief Richards, or if you just want to sit back, call in and say, Tom, you're the greatest. Yep, you just call (laughs) 646-929-0130. 646-929-0130. All right, and we're back here here with the Donaldson Files and the Bachelor News Radio Network. And uh, yeah, uh, kind of keep following up on this point because basically what it comes down to is that the numbers are overwhelming when it comes down to you know, whether, you know, you know, on family structure mattering whether it's economics, you know, whether it's living in poverty, whether it is you know, educational attainment, and whether it is uh, crime. Uh, somebody said to you in 10 and 30 seconds, uh, summarize your study, summarize your own thoughts and research. Well, in, in terms of family, um, it is, and I said it before, it is the building block of our society. And it's in crisis. We have a crisis in fatherhood uh, and, and family values, to be quite honest, Tom. And if we don't get a handle on it, we will lose our country. Because um, when the family unravels, as you mentioned, you know, crime, education, poverty, um, you know, the whole endless, you know, cycle of welfare, uh, it's impossible to break. And we need strong families to do that. Um, I don't know if I went over uh, 30 seconds. Am I going to get a few more seconds? Because uh, I've got a couple ideas no, I on what going. we need to do. Yeah. Okay. Well, that was, so, actually, I was going to ask you the second question I'm going to ask you was, how do we move forward on this? How do we encourage? Well, I, I think you know, that, that is the question because the facts are out there. And I, I think one of the biggest problems is you hear very few, and, and there are you know, some great voices out there, but not enough. I mean, uh, you know, actually standing up and, you know, just forthrightly saying like, hey, you know, our country was founded on Judeo-Christian values, and one of the most important things is the family. So I think, first of all, we have to just come out and say, hey, we value and cherish and support the family. 
uh, as a value, as a national value. And man, I, I, you know, you know, from there, you know, once we, uh, you know, regain some political power, I mean, you, you have, you know, big public advertising campaigns about family, you know, getting education into schools, particularly high schools, you know, talking about marriage and family, um, restructuring, you know, our whole welfare system so there aren't these perverse uh, incentives, you know, to, uh, you know, get the father out of the home, you know, have, you know, marriage mentoring skills program. You know, if, you know, if this, you know, this is a national emergency and we have to treat it as such, but it starts out by standing up for those values, being unashamed to stand up for those values. And, uh, you, know, you know, that's where everything starts. And I think we can do it, but it's getting very late in the game. And, uh, you, know, you know, people need to stand up, you know, you know stand up uh, to the plate here. Well, I mean, the... Yeah, I mean, the, the, again, what I wanted to kind of follow up on that, because these are not exactly, let's say, 30 years ago, I doubt that we would have had a debate, even a discussion. This would be more or less, well, this makes sense. You know, regardless of your political analysis, I mean, you would not have sat back and said, uh, you know, this is, uh, yeah. I don't think. It, you know, let me ask you a question. Do you, if you sat there with thirty, if you sat back and you had, let's say, a half of room of Republicans, half of room of Democrats, half, you know, that you would have had a big disagreement over any of this. That we talk about back in the day, Tom. <laughs> yeah, I'm, uh, I'm talking about just thirty. Yeah, thirty years ago. If you sat yeah, back thirty no, years no, ago, I, I, I think it was like you said. It, it was. It was almost common sense, um, uh, you know. You know, you, you know, Democrats back in those days, you know, before uh, the, you know, this whole, uh, you know, you know, Marxist wing took over. Uh, a lot of these were common sense people, you know, and uh, you know, the family was something we valued. Uh, there might be debates on, you know, how much, um, you know, government intervention is needed, but I don't think thirty years ago. Very few people would argue, except for like the extreme radicals, uh, that having a you know two parent family was a bad thing. I mean, you know, people would generally agree that it is an optimal way, way to raise children. Um, but uh, like you said, that was thirty years ago. Things have changed quite a bit, unfortunately. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, this is like I said, it's common sense. Maybe it's like a, a, you know, a friend of mine put it this way. He said, you know, the road to success begins, don't show up to work drunk or stoned. Uh, show up to work on time. You know, get a good education and work when you get in school. Yeah. Do the best you can. And wait till you are married to have children. And this will lay the foundation of moving up the economic ladder. Uh I mean, this is like common sense, but I can remember a few years ago, you know, Amy Wax was a professor at the University of Pennsylvania, and she made the observation about bourgeoisie virtue and, you know, the importance of these virtues that we just talked about, that you and I talked about for the last 35 minutes, and it's as if, yeah. you know, yeah. I mean, she was condemned. I, 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 I think mean, she I don't lost her job that. over that, didn't she? <laughs> didn't she get fired yeah. over that, Tom? I, I'm yeah. not sure she got fired, but I do know that. 
there was a, a, a brouhoo over the thing, uh, over this. And I'm saying to myself, you know, this would not have been considered a white virtue or, you know, virtue at all. It would be right. a virtue where, you know, even, let's say, blacks and Hispanics and whites, and I guarantee you that I suspect there are many blacks and Hispanic parents saying the same thing, you know, get your education. You know, let's not, don't just show up to your first job, stone out of your mind. Show up on time. These are, you know, dress the best you can dress. Uh, these are things that make, you know, that let's say have been values for so long, but yet we're even debating the basic, these basic values. That's what I find fascinating. Well, so yeah, it's, and uh, yeah. No, you're so, absolutely right. But, you know, but there, there's a very strong, um, you know, strain within the black community that is for these traditional values without a doubt. You know, a lot of it's, uh, you know, through churches. But, you know, you know, in any community, uh, you know, these values are very strong. Um, there is a... Uh, this great sociologist Elijah Anderson from uh, Philadelphia. He wrote a great book called Code of the Street. Um, read that many years ago, and you know, there's these two segments of uh, you know within you know black culture. There's like you know street values, and then there's decent values, and uh, you know that exists everywhere. But uh, you know, if you look at any success rates within any community, but take the black community i mean you know which kids are going to be successful you know the ones coming out of that you know two-parent uh home environment you know stressing those values of, of hard work um you know planning ahead showing up on time but once again those very values are under attack by critical race theory you know they call that like uh, you know examples of whiteness and things like this so uh you know the family itself but every value that's connected with it uh, is under attack right now. And, uh, you know, as I said, I think we can win this fight, but it is, you know, we are in a tough, tough spot. You know, they've got a big, big head start. And, um, but, you know, people are waking up and the important thing to realize, I mean, this is not a race issue. This is a cultural issue that cuts across racial lines. We're talking basic, decent Judeo-Christian values, um, the very foundation of America. And uh, as people come together, uh, the more confident I am that, that we'll win. Yeah. All right, let's kind of follow up on uh, a couple of things because I want to also, you know, move in the same, but also, you know, you know, where this comes in. Because you make some, you know, I want to get some of your stats here. Uh, let me see, I've I'm, I'm got... Uh, because you have some pretty interesting stats here that I think is worth looking into. And, uh, but you talk about, I mean, increased crime. You know, the crime, you know, okay, here it is. Here's a quote here that you made. I want to say this correctly. You know, uh, okay. In 2020, the number of black homicide victims from 2019 increased by more than 1,100. And, uh, and these were mostly in cities, 
that implemented, let's say, the defund the police agenda or, you know, maybe you don't like the word defund the police. How about cut the budget of police? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> either way. So kind of, I want you to kind of start, you know, we're going to take a quick break here and then we're going to come, <laughs> excuse me, we're going to come right back and I want you to kind of follow up on that data. You might know me, I'm okay. 50 Cent. You may follow my tweets, my Facebook friends. Odds are a few in the six degrees separate us. We're that close. What's crazy is one in six don't know where their next meal is coming from. These are your co-workers, your neighbors, your friends. Hunger's too close for us to ignore. So visit feedingamerica.org slash hunger and find your local food bank to see how you can make a difference. From one close friend to another, let's do this. I'm 50 Cent, and together we are Feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. Napa know-how. Napa guy knows not to judge a man by his car's multicolored paint job or absence of modern gadgetry. Who cares if it's technically old enough to vote and the windows are powered by the strength of your left arm? Your monthly payment is zero, and it'll stay that way. Because with over 500,000 parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep anything on the road. She may not be pretty, but she's all yours. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. Yeah, Napa know-how is the sponsor for the, the final segment of this particular program. If you want to become a sponsor, you contact LABachelor40 at gmail.com. Listen to this show. You can listen to this show on the bachelornews.airtime.pro uh, every day at 10 a.m. Central Time, 3 p.m. Central Time, or you can listen to it anytime on StreamYard.com. Uh, so here's an intro. I mean, I, I, I'm, you know, I got to read this to you because you and I know this gentleman pretty well, and I want your comments on it. Uh, okay, Will for Riley. This is his tweet. Uh, well, yeah. Okay. Civilization literally cannot exist without peace and order. The first duty of a leader is to provide those things. Your thoughts? Well, without a doubt, and you know that's you know the breakdown uh, we're seeing. You know, you know, you mentioned uh, twenty-five out of the twenty-six uh, Democrat-run cities, yeah. uh, and actually, and I think the only one you mentioned was Baltimore, but. Uh, this year they they've gotten back, so it's 26 out of 26 with the crime that's going on there. Um, well, yeah. So a, a lot of things are going on here, and you know when we talk about that defund the police, um, and there have been you know budget cuts and you know real defunding in terms of money, uh, but to me the problem is not the money. The reason that this defund movement even got started, which was a Black Lives Matter slogan, uh, is that, you know, that's, you know, why would you defund the police? Well, if you believe that the police are systemically racist, that the police are murdering, you know, you know, black people left and right, uh, you know, things like this. Well, that's a good reason to defund the police. So the whole defund movement is based on that lie of systemic police racism. But once you go there and get people believing that, it's not just defunding the police. 
it's the whole attitude towards policing. You know, now there's more resistance, more fighting, more, you know, the war on cops escalates. Uh, this year alone, we've had more than 150 officers shot, uh, you know, in America, 30 shot dead, and uh, ambush attacks are up 91%. You know, the only reason this is happening is because people hate the police. And, you know, once again, it's based on that propaganda, that relentless, you know, police are systemically racist. Because once you dehumanize uh, someone, you know, to that you know, racist level that the police are Nazis, well, then, you know, you know, and the game's over because, you know, people can like, justify themselves, uh, you know, attacking, killing police. So that's one yeah. thing. Then the other thing that's going on in these cities that do the defunding, they're actually implementing laws that cripple the police. You know, New York City, Colorado, New Mexico got rid of qualified immunity. You know, cash bail has been eliminated in many places. Illinois and New York City, where, you know, everything is pro-criminal, anti-police. So, it's not just defunding in terms of money. It's everything across the board. And then once again, you know, touching back, you know, bases with uh, my good friend Will Riley, you know, there has been almost zero uh, commitment, you know, by these mayors and unfortunately by many police chiefs to go and stop this violence. You know, I mean, you know, you, you just see it every day, the videos. I mean, mobs of people going to the stores and just looting them at will in the middle of the day. People being dragged out of their cars in Chicago and shot on the street. You know, this is because, uh, you know, you know, there was no pushback, no attempt to maintain law and order in the first place. And now we're in a, a real crisis situation. Yeah, let me. First of all, in the case of Baltimore, they actually, you know, we did include them. They were the in 2020. They were the only city that actually, you know, that we looked at actually saw a decrease. Uh, but as I stated in the article, you know, stated in our study, is that's kind of like one of those good news, bad news. The bad news is that uh, they still have one of the highest per capita uh, crime rate, and they've had seven years in a row. Uh, well, that's at, the thing. Know, with three, mean, uh, 300 like, or more. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, mean, there's a certain level. How bad can they get? You know, so uh, you're right. But but I think this year they've actually uh, they've managed to increase, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. But let me pull. Okay, here's the thing. Uh, Because you know, you make the position is not necessarily about the money, even though to me part of it is the money in this sense. Uh, it depends how much. I mean, you can always cut a budget and cut waste. You know, I had a good friend of mine who works with, you know, who's worked in South Carolina law enforcement, and you know, we got talking about this. He said, you know, Tom, just, you know, spending the money on police is not just, uh, you know, you know, it's not, you know, it's, it's not a solve to the issue. He said because I have a South Carolina, you know, they went out and they bought a bunch of new cars that they didn't need. You know, they basically, <laughs> you know, they, you know, they, yeah. I, I guess you could say they bought a lot of equipment that, quite frankly, you would sit back and say, you know, was this a waste of money? But a lot of money was actually wasted when they were given that additional resource. So it's not a necessary, so there are friends, you know, so they are guilty. But to me, when I see a billion dollars, sure. which is what de Blasio did, that, 
a lot of money. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, what do they say? A billion year, a billionaire? Pretty soon we're talking yeah, real but, money. We're but, talking uh, real money, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, that. the famous, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's the famous Senator F. Thurston line from the 1960s. We're old enough to remember that. <laughs> uh, yeah. Hey, I was. You know, I'm not going to say I was old enough to vote for him. That would really be pushing it. But uh, yeah. I, I yeah, did no, live I, in Chicago when he was around. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah, and, yeah, but, but but here's the here's the thing with this, Tom. Um, and yeah. yeah, the you know, I'm not trying to minimize it. The money does make a difference. But even if you, you know, refunded all that money now, here's the reality. Uh, thousands of veteran police officers, the very best, have quit. They've retired early. Uh, you know, in Chicago, I know retirements are up 43%, resignations 18%. People are just quitting the job. And in New York City, every big city, you know, you know, good cops are bailing out because of, you know, they got no support from their local government. Uh, the communities have been, you know, so poisoned. Their minds have been poisoned with the systemic racism um, myth that, I mean, you see it. I mean, cops are mobbed on the street. You know, they can't even, you know, you know, do a simple job, respond to a call. So not only are the good cops leaving, but recruitment. And how are you going to get good officers? I don't know one good cop would recommend, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm telling you, I'll share this with you. You know, I saw this coming a few years ago. I had some of my own kids ask about law enforcement. I said, I would not get in this profession now, you know, because I saw what was coming. And uh, so even if you put back the money, uh, you know, because of the attitudes out there, the loss of, you know, the very best that we have in terms of veterans, uh, the almost impossibility to recruit new good people. Uh, in, in many of these big cities, the money wouldn't make a difference anymore. I mean, you well, know, yeah, here's an interesting point here that, okay, you uh, refer to an article uh, by Heather McDonald. And yeah. There was a, a, point, a point in the article, and let me just can make sure I get this correct. And she talks about, okay, civilian police contacts. Uh, first of all, number one, how would you define that? Would you define that just strictly arresting people? Or would you define that on a much broader term? How would you define that? And then yeah, and explain uh, why that's important. Okay. Right. Was that the – Fifty million number or something like that per year, or, or I'm well, not sure exactly. Yeah, here's how she worded it. She worded it by percentages. The number of police civilian contact plummeted in cities like Philadelphia, Oakland, Chicago, New York, Los oh, okay. Angeles. No, there. That's how she. Yeah. It. I, okay. Yeah. I think. Well, I don't think. I, I'm sure what she's talking about is because of uh, this overt hostile climate, this, you know, war on cops that's been waged, uh, you have many, you know, police officers, and I totally understand why. Uh, they're backing off proactive policing. 
So instead of going out and, you know, looking for that bad guy, trying to find that gun, uh, because they know what's going to happen, you know, if that encounter goes bad. I mean, you know, you know, if they have to, you know, shoot somebody, God forbid, uh, the odds are that that Democratic mayor is going to hang them out to dry without even uh, an investigation. And that's happened left and right, or they're going to be mobbed, um, you know, indicted. And so there's a reluctance now for police to engage, you know, so they're cutting back. I mean, sure, they're answering their calls, uh, but to go out and find those violent criminals, that's being cut back. So that has a couple of really bad uh, repercussions, the most being, or the most serious being, it emboldens these criminals because they know that the police aren't out there trying to hunt them down uh, and gang members as well. But also you tie that on top of, or tie that with uh, these cities that have, have eliminated cash bail. So even if they're caught, even violent criminals, you know, you know, I'm not exaggerating, you know, they are out the door before the paperwork's done, you know, you know, you know, it's that bad. So there's no uh, deterrence there. And and let me add one thing that we haven't touched on. And once again, this is part of this whole critical race theory thing. You've got um, county prosecutors, district attorneys, all throughout this country, and maybe 24 big jurisdictions, have all been financially funded by George Soros, you know, who's an anti-American, wants to undermine a whole system, they're in these critical positions now where they, you know, either approve uh, felony charges, uh, they definitely decide if they're going to, you know, follow up to try to get convictions. And they're letting violent criminals go left and right in every big area, Chicago, Baltimore, Philadelphia, San Francisco, L.A., you name it. They have taken power, and they're undermining the system from within. So even now when you have police doing everything they can, locking these people up, they're being let go. You know, every looter in New York from last year uh, was cut loose. And once again, it ties in with this whole Black Lives Matter uh, movement. You know, they, they said, you know, they justified looting as a form of slavery reparations. And now you have the prosecutors in New York making that happen by letting these people go without a slap on the wrist. Yeah. I, I, very quick question uh, for because it's explain uh, to the audience qualified immunity and why it matters. <clears throat> Absolutely. Uh, I'll make this quick. Uh, so qualified immunity is a protection that police officers have where they can't be personally sued for minor things. Okay. You know, you know, anyone, any police officer who intentionally violates someone's civil rights or constitutional rights is not covered by this. I mean, you are out on your own if you go that far. Um, So qualified immunity just means you can't be sued personally for basically doing your job or maybe making an honest mistake uh, to be sued personally. Now, a department can always be sued, but, you know, not having that officer have to face uh, multiple lawsuits, hey, you know, 
You know, someone didn't like the traffic ticket I wrote him. Someone didn't like getting arrested. You could be sued personally if you weren't protected by this qualified immunity. And if you eliminate that, you know, you know, you already have officers backing off. Now, I mean, who would want to make any encounter if you're at personal risk for these uh, frivolous lawsuits? So that's what qualified immunity so is all about. Yeah, so basically, yeah. So basically, what you're saying is. If I go beat the crap out of you, don't do my like, you know, give you the constitutional. I mean, you know, say you know, you got the right to a lawyer and don't do those things. You know, just start a fight with you, or do anything outside of the norm. You're not, you're still going to get sued and prosecuted. It's when you make that honest mistake. Yeah. Yeah. So this is not. I mean, a lot of the problems you run into. Is that you know the, the impression people get is that they get a you know you know a free pass on anything they do, right. and you're making it clear that's not the case. In other words, for yeah. example, yeah. Um, you know we you and I have discussed uh, what happened uh, in Minneapolis with George Floyd, George Floyd, and certainly that particular officer was found guilty, and you can make the argument that he would not have that he is now eligible to be sued in civil court. Because he went beyond sure. what was, you know, he went beyond. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I think yeah. the, uh, it, no, 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 you, you hit it right in the head, Tom. I mean, qualified immunity is not a get out of jail free card, okay? And, uh, you know, like I said, it's not just the honest mistake. I mean, it's just getting sued for anything. You know, someone just didn't like the outcome of what happened. Hey, I'm going to sue you. Um, you know, under qualified immunity, uh, those suits don't go anywhere, you know. You can, yeah. Once again, you can always sue a department, you know. But in terms of that individual officer, uh, you know, unless the officers have that protection, um, no one's going to, you know, engage in anything, uh, you know, other than the, the most routine, uh, you know, uh, function. Yeah. All right. Well, okay. Uh, we got about three minutes left, and. There's one question I do have to ask that has absolutely nothing to do with the show. But, you know, okay. you and I were talking. You, you and I were talking, and I said, you know, don't forget it's going to be 6 p.m. your time. And you said to me, well, oh. you mean central time. And I said, well, wait a minute, don't you? And so you no longer live in West Virginia, correct? Right. That, that, is, that is correct. I, I, I moved to uh, Columbia, Missouri in March, Tom. And, uh, yeah. and, and uh, yeah, I'll tell you what that was all about. Yeah, I was in Martinsburg well, six years, you know, five years, and then a year after being chief. And it's a beautiful community. I love the people. Um, but uh, bottom line is uh, I, I miss my family. And uh, I've got a brother and sister in Columbia. Uh, in fact, I'm calling you right now from Chicago because I still got uh, two kids and and uh, four grandkids up here, so uh, it's a lot closer to Chicago. And uh, you yeah. know, family always meant the world to me, of course. And uh, <laughs> I think you already, with, with that Everett Dirksen line, you, you, you know, I'm uh, yeah. not a kid anymore. So the older you get, I think the more you appreciate yeah. that family connection. So that's why I made the move. Yeah. All right, I, I was just saying because, I, like I say, it was like, like you know, I was talking to you know one of the You're right. you know, people on the show. Because, like I say, last night's show was one of those crazy shows where basically 
Uh, we had guests not show up. I had a co-host who had a a a pet emergency, and uh, and it's like, oh, you know, you're always scrambling at the last second. And okay. then I was telling well, this yeah. individual, and I was telling this individual, I said, oh, by the way, you ought to hear, you know, you know, you know. I said, oh, good thing, you know, I cleared, you know, I had a conversation with my guest tonight because I did not realize he moved to the Midwest, <laughs> so he's down the same place well, as yeah. myself. So. <laughs> Hey, I'm definitely we've got that cleared up. You know, but I'm glad you said that person missed COVID emergency because Tom, who would who would want to miss your show? That's all I want to know. No, no, I, no. Actually, like I say it's one of those things that's happened for the gentleman. Like I say in question, you know, uh, a family thing came up. You know, a family thing came up, and like I say, my co-host had a uh, you know a pet emergency. She had to take her dog to the vet. And uh, on that wow. particular score, I'm going to say good night. Uh, we're going to have you back on the show in the future. We got so much more to talk about. Uh, thank you, uh, Chief Richards. This is Tom Donaldson here on the Donaldson Files saying good night. Trumpet, you know it's the Resistance Hour with Dr. Larry and Tom Donaldson on the Bachelor News Radio Network. I'm Dr. Larry Fidewa, and my uh, co-host is Tom Donaldson. And uh, tonight we are going to uh, be talking a little bit more uh, about the uh, the Biden economy. And uh, with Tom's permission, I would like to make a brief statement to begin with. Uh, and uh, that is this, that uh, profits, the word profit is not a dirty word. Without profits, there are no taxes. Without taxes, government starves to death. So what is profit? Profit is what's left over after the, uh, that is the money that is left over after you uh, pay all the expenses for uh, discovering and uh, and uh, pioneering the uh, any product or service, and uh, after you pay all the people that made it happen, and uh, and then if there is something left over, that's called profit, and that profit is what the reason that people do it because, after all, uh, if you uh, work really hard and try to get uh, and you 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 need to have some kind of incentive to do that, and that's why uh, the whole system that we have in free market uh, economy is based upon profits. But if the government is going to exist, the government has to have has to have some of that profit in order to be able to pay expenses for the things that. In fact, uh, everybody has in common, like 
uh, common uh, protection from enemies abroad and uh, law and order at home and also fairness in uh, courts, etc. So when we hear the idea of uh, the Democrat is, is uh, known traditionally as the tax and spend, then it doesn't make sense for a, a, a government to try to tax uh, the uh, companies that produce the profit that make it uh, possible. So it's a contradiction in, at the beginning, and uh, yet they have they have proceeded uh, for uh, for a century now, almost two centuries, uh, with this uh, illusion that you can uh, tax people, you could tax the companies, tax the producers. In your in your economy and uh, and come out ahead. So there's one more point, and that is that that if you uh, look at the difference in the outcomes for uh, profit-based uh, economies versus uh, government-based economies, you find out that the people that are are prospering, and this is case throughout the entire world and throughout history, the people that uh, are prospering as a group uh, are far more, are, are the ones that uh, reduce the, that, uh, that understand that the part of the, re, the uh, purpose of government is to make profits possible. So that's my little uh, monologue, Tom, and uh, you can, uh, you can come on now yeah. and make yours. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I noticed one thing that you did not wait for an answer when you say, "If you don't mind, Tom." <laughs> <laughs> well, I I was hoping that you would uh, feel free to yes. break in if you uh, objected. Well, I no, I you know I would like to say, and uh, I, you know, actually, this is how we used to start the show, you know, before it became the Resistance Hour. Uh, so that's no yeah, we, problem. That is no problem. But actually, but now that you you know set the uh, table for everything, you're absolutely 100 percent correct. Uh, yeah, yeah, this is a conversation we had yesterday. Part of our conversation on you know, we had yesterday, uh, and, uh, and and it's you know, you're absolutely correct in the sense you know. In fact, let me put it this way. Last night, we were not you – know, one of the things I stated, we're not – what I do not see for the Democrats is where are you going to grow the pie? So what plan do you have to grow the pie? It's almost as if government is of economic growth and that the private sector is incidental. It's the opposite. You know, the, you know, the big economic lesson we ought to have is, is understanding is that government – you know, there's two aspects. You know, you know, government's job is to protect the rights of the individual, protect the rights that people can, their life, liberty. That certainly is our definition. It is not to engineer growth. And I've always stated in my, I always have a saying that the power of government to do more, to do utmost harm is high, uh, but its ability to do good is always going to be limited because it is the private sector that drives the business. And once you interfere, Substantially with that private sector, you're not going to get economic growth and prosperity. 
And that was the point I was making last night. Um, and that, uh, and that's the point I, you know, I will, you know, continue to make tonight. Well, the other thing is that uh, there's a certain um, there's a certain idealism that's uh, sort of uh, cloaks uh, the socialist uh, uh, theory of of human society, and that is that everybody is equal, and therefore they should all have equal. Uh, everything equal, including uh, the goods of this world and opportunities and everything else. And that, unfortunately, uh, it just isn't true. Um, there, there are always going to be uh, people that take advantage of other people and that there are always going to be leaders and there are always going to be followers. And human nature is just such that there is built into it uh, a uh, an element of uh, uh, self-interest that that just has to be somehow or other accounted for in your uh, scheme of of how to govern a society, and we we call it competition, which is uh, a very mild version of, uh, of the kind of uh, confrontations that were. Uh, characteristic of uh, most uh, societies in the, in the human race, uh, the competition is is a way of doing things that uh, are not violent and are not uh, dishonest and not uh, not bloody, and uh, and so the ultimate uh, idealism of the uh, free market society is far more uh, gracious and far more kindly and, and, and far more likely to produce happiness than, than is uh, socialism with its false premise. And uh, they're just, it, it, you know, we have all these young people that say, what do you want to do? I want to do good. I want to, I want to uh, try to make the world better f- for my uh, presence in it. And that means I can't go to work for a company I have to do something for a non-profit, but they don't seem to understand that if if you if ever if everything was non-profit, that there wouldn't be anything to come to. The society would disintegrate into uh, into what it started with, which is clans. You know, there you got the family, the clan. You got the family, the clan, the tribe, and and uh, and then you finally have a, have a nation, maybe. So uh, we're going to take a break now. It's, uh, this is the Resistance Hour with uh, Dr. Larry and Tom Donaldson on the Bachelor News Radio Network. A boy born in Joplin, Missouri was fascinated by anything with wheels and a motor. The odds of him going on to fascinate millions with his talent? One in 260,000. The odds of this born racer having 157 career top 10 finishes in NASCAR? One in 125 billion. But every driver seeks the pinnacle of their achievements. The odds of him winning both the Daytona 500 and the Brickyard 400 in the same year? One in 195 million. The odds of a child being diagnosed with autism? One in 88. I'm NASCAR driver Jamie McMurray, and my niece has autism. Learn more at autismspeaks.org signs. Early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. 
Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. You're listening oh, to the best. Yeah. Yeah, hold on just a second, ladies and gentlemen, because we want you to know that this segment is sponsored by the following announcer. Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings, wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. You're listening now to you can get... the... <laughs> go ahead, Tom. Yeah. I was going to say, now you can go ahead and go, but uh, like I said, this will be this. If you want to be a sponsor of our show, you call L.A. Here's what you do. You send an email to L.A. Uh, bachelor, Gmail, L.A. Bachelor 40 at gmail.com. And don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, you can listen to this show and other great shows on the Bachelor News Radio Network on the bachelornews.airtime.pro and also, steamyard.com. So, uh, so many opportunities to listen to the Resistance Hour with Dr. Larry and Tom. Well, time well spent, we hope. <laughs> so, yeah. so, Tom, um, what, uh, what do you think, what are your, what's your thought about all this? Well, yeah, I'm going to follow up on a general thing that you just discussed and go into uh, a point you uh, make. Uh, yeah, there are two aspects. You brought up an interesting point, Phil, working in the private sector. And the aspect that comes into play, we've asked over the years, we've asked people this question, you know, you know, you know do you like market economy because, A, they allow you the best you can be and get, allows you to pursue your dreams, or do you think it's the, you know, the purview of the 1%? And we do find, on the average, more people will say the former than the latter, even younger people. Uh, and so it's not, so there's this ask. And one of the problems we've always had when defending free market, and this is a you know point that I you know I'm starting to make now to my fellow political operatives. It's not just about free market. It's about what free market does. It's a, you know it's not just about dollars and cents. Hey, you become richer. It's about something deeper and broader. And you brought this point up. You can be the best you can be. You can start your own company. You can, you know, work hard enough to earn enough money to retire early. There are things out there, and even with the private sector, you know, charity sector out there, without a free market, there is no charity section sector that's going to be able to produce any goods because nobody's going to be able to provide them with funds. And so I've always, you know, to me, you know, that's point number one, and I'll. And I want to kind of get your view on this in the sense that we have failed to defend markets as a moral as opposed to prosperity. It's kind of like, okay, you'd be prosperous. But it's also a more moral than, let's say, Marxism and socialism. And it's time for us to get to that point. Yeah. And I think that 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 issue of – of uh, idealism is 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 a very important part of of this new uh, era that we are uh, trying to desperately to enter in uh, in the United States and and because of that um, 
really in much of the world. Um, and uh, this is, uh, I think, a very, a very significant, uh, not only challenge, but there are also people that are really uh, on, uh, trying to meet that challenge. And that is to uh, talk about the idealistic aspects and the and the uh, benign aspects of, uh, of of free market economy. Um, for example, uh, the uh, the the uh, conscious capitalist movement, uh, in which the the, the uh, entire workforce is considered the uh, uh, it's considered one of the one of the principal uh, stakeholders in in every company, in addition to and not and not uh, un, not behind the uh, state the uh, shareholders, and and then the and, and they also include the uh, the customers and the suppliers and and the uh, third party uh, consultants and so on. Uh, and their goal is if everybody in that uh, stakeholder group is not uh, satisfied, is not uh, being, feel like they're being treated properly, uh, first of all, they have a right and an obligation to make that known. And secondly, the rest of the group, the rest of the company has uh, an equal obligation to, uh, to take it seriously and try to resolve it. And the, um, the results in that Particular movement uh, are astonishing. Uh, the, uh, the the polls are showing, and there have been already some studies on this, that they're far more uh, profitable uh, than uh, than other companies in the uh, in the uh, in the uh, Standard and Poor 500. And for example, and there are a lot of reasons for that. Uh, the uh, they have a rule that there is no more than 10% um, uh, uh, that, that the uh, chief executive, for example, cannot uh, have more than 10% more than, uh, than the average worker in terms of compensation. So you don't get any uh, golden parachutes of $150 million for one man, and the rest of the company has to go on strike in order to get to get uh, at its uh, working wage. Uh, secondly, uh, they have a much better uh, go, a much better reputation and uh, experience in retaining people, and therefore they uh, they uh, uh, do not have the cost of continually recruiting people because of people being uh, being you know leaving the company. And but they have, it's it's really astonishing the the uh, loyalty that the uh, workforce has as a whole and, and individually to to these various companies, and this is not a small thing by the way. There there's a, some there's some uh, uh, I think it's uh, if, I, if I recall the numbers it's 1,600 companies and something like uh, uh, 15 million people. Uh, that actually uh, uh, are covered by this uh, this particular movement, but there and there are other movements that have similar uh, goals and similar ways of operating. But we have to they they are in the process of revolutionizing the concept of capitalism. 
and and that's not something that should be uh, surprising to us because capitalism has been evolving since the day it was born in the uh, in the uh, caravans of uh, Europe where they were going from village to village and making and trading uh, uh, goods and uh, and uh, various kinds of uh, uh, Things that 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 were uh, prominent in, in one village and 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 scarce in another, farther away. Uh, so, uh, and 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 the ultimate the ultimate test is uh, for approximately all of human history until until the 18th century, there really was very little difference in in terms of lifespan, in terms of. Um, uh, uh, of individual worth, uh, f financial worth, in terms of uh, 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 the uh, number of people that were actually uh, benefiting from the uh, work of society, there, there was very little change for centuries and centuries and centuries. It was not until the idea of, of free markets uh, began to pervade uh, Europe that uh, that this began to change and since then there have been uh, millions and millions of people who have been brought out of poverty and out of illness and, out, and, and their lives have been extended and uh, their happiness level obviously was, uh, has also been uh, increased and that is really a function of, of what we uh, now called capitalism, which is a bad word really for 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 the free market system that we're in. And uh, but these are all things that 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 uh, we have never, as a as a as a society, we have never talked about these things, and we've never really tried to push it uh, forward. And I, I it's, we have to do that now, or we're going to lose it. We're going to lose the whole damn thing. To these yeah. guys that uh, that uh, that the socialists have brought in. Well, I agree. I mean, here's absolutely. I mean, it's important because again, I said, you know, you're absolutely correct in this. You know, that we have to start defending the system. But you make again, you make an interesting point. You know, markets are revolutionary. I mean, we people. But then again, anybody, if you understand markets to begin with, free market economics to begin with, it has to be evolutionary, because you're. Re because you are, in fact, appealing to what that market is. I, mean, I had a – years ago, I would have a boss when I was in my pharmaceutical days always say to me, the only constant we have is change in our business. And, and she's absolutely, she was absolutely correct because there's always change for men. I mean, think of it this way. Just in the past year, we have, using new technology, developed a vaccine to deal with the virus you know, in far quicker time than ever done before is what happens when you allow the market to expand. You allow the private sector to do their things. There's an emergency. There's going to be somebody who will figure out a way to take, you know, to deal with that emergency. Uh, you know, it's the, you know, if, they have the if they have the freedom to do it. Exactly. If they have the freedom to do it. And I think, you know, uh, you know I, I always kind of make the point here uh, in this regard, and that is, you know, we had a 50-state experiment in the pandemic, uh, and I've done enough number crunching to make the following statement. 
That is, if you lived in a red state, you were 16,000 to 26,000 per million more likely to be employed without necessarily having a higher percentage. You are 16,000 to 25,000 per million more likely to be employed. In other words, the number of people employed in red states per million more than blue states was 16,000 to 25,000, uh, depending on the study we looked, you know, the study we looked at or the, the methodology we looked at. The second aspect is it was done without necessarily increasing your chances of dying from COVID, or I should say the Wuhan virus. Uh, because I think, right, you know, and that to me is a good indication, you know, that we've had these experiments. Okay, it's not just about prosperity, it's the fact you are allowed to keep your job, you are allowed to work, you are allowed to have a life. And, and I think, quite frankly, uh, you know, this is part of the thing that we need to start talking about. It's not just sat facts and statistics, but there is a benefit to this. And and and, and I'd like to kind of follow up on that with you, but I'm going to take it. Let's take a quick break here, and then we'll come back here on the Resistance Hour with uh, Dr. Larry and Tom. Go, Caleb! Come on, hit a homer, Jesse. Let's go, guys. Hey, did you guys know that kids who play sports earn more money when they grow up? Of course. I I knew that. Hey, did you guys know that kids who read books have a bigger vocabulary? Oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> wow, jinx. <laughs> did you guys know that friendly children have more friends? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. That's true. I knew that. Did you guys know that winter babies are better at music? Everyone knows that. Oh, yeah? yeah pretty obvious. Yeah, yeah so yeah. obvious. Oh, hey, guys. Did you know that most people think they're using the right car seat for their kid, but they're not? Huh. I didn't know that. I'm pretty sure I knew that. I'm pretty sure you didn't. Parents who really know it all know for sure that their child is in the right car seat at the right age and size. Visit safercar.gov slash the right seat to make sure your child is protected. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. And this spot, this particular hour is going to, this segment is going to be sponsored by Buffalo Wild Wings. If you want to become a sponsor uh, of the Resistance Hour with Dr. Larry and Tom, uh, simply email labachelor40 at gmail.com. Since Buffalo Wild Wings is always open late, here are a few things you'll enjoy. Buzzer beaters, wings in 21 signature sauces and seasonings, and great deals on food and beer. Grab select domestic draft beers starting at $4. $4 shareables like street tacos, fried pickles, chili queso dip, mozzarella sticks, and roasted garlic mushrooms, and deals on select liquor and house cocktails. Phew, that's a mouthful. Catch all of the late night action. Buffalo Wild Wings, wings, beer, sports. Offers and participation vary. Please drink responsibly. Void where prohibited. We're back here on the resistance hour. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> We're running into each other tonight. Uh, yes, you're listening are. to the resistance hour on the Bachelor News Radio Network. And uh, Tom, go ahead. You were uh, on a roll there. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, I my role is very simple. As I say, you, you, I mean the the ask. We've had this experiment. The experiment should be open. The policies instituted by Joe Biden are going to will not have the same good impact 
than the policies, let's say, enacted by 27 Republican governors as a whole. Uh, I mean, the question to me, and that, but it's not just, again, about keeping your job, making a few extra bucks. It's about you are allowed to live your life. You are allowed to have an element of freedom in your life. You are allowed to pursue your dreams, even the most difficult of circumstances. And you are more likely to keep your job. You are more, or as a, I always remember this, you know, this is a very interesting story because it happened in Texas, in Austin, where a woman basically was being ordered to shut down her hair salon. And interesting enough, there would be a week later they were going to start reopening the economy anyway, but they were going to fine her. The judge said, how selfish can you be? And her response was, I'm not the one being selfish. I'm providing for my family, and I'm allowing my employees to provide for them. This is not being selfish. This is, being, this is the complete opposite of being selfish. This is providing for your family. I'm not the one being selfish. And needless to say, she spent a day in jail after that one. Uh, but you get the point. Oh, you know, he, he demanded her to apologize and said she was selfish. She, that's what she told him. But that's the aspect of, you know, what we need to defend. we got to start defending. You know, you mentioned, camps, you know, the conscious capitalist. Uh, but, you know, the thing is, these guys defend the system. They defend the morality of the system, and they allow the system to work in a moral way. And I think these are the things we need to start talking about and defending, because, as you stated, if we don't do it, we're going to lose it. Now, here's a question I'm going to throw back to you. Is the other aspect that comes into play is in the talk of equality and equity and things of this nature. Uh, there are two aspects of equality. There's the equality of opportunity, understanding that human beings are different. They have different goals, different uh, objectives. For example, I ran track and cross country, but I ran for a Division three school. I wasn't good enough to run with the big boys, so I had to run with a Division three non-scholarship, which I did. I enjoyed running. I got a college, a college education, and by the way, I got a college letter. But the reality is, I you know, I you know, the reality is, is there, you know, the reality is that my physical talent was laid in there, and my other talents laid in moving into different directions. Opportunity to take advantage of those opportunities. Not everybody can be a Michael Jordan, but then again, not everybody can be an Elon Musk or John Mackey, who runs uh, Whole Foods. But there are places where people can make opportunity and fill their own niche, and that's the beauty of Marx's, of our system. The equality of results never truly ends up with the equality of results, and it details government interventionist policy beyond in which your very rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness cannot be obtained if that's the ultimate goal. Right. Your thoughts? Well, I think, I think there, are, there, there are two factors which, um, which are at play here. One is, throughout history, there has always been the, the issue of how do you uh, motivate other people or what is it that would motivate people to uh, – 
to listen to follow the rules of the society, whatever they are, and and uh, to uh, try to uh, uh, make a uh, uh, a living uh, in peace and and uh, in, and not in uh, constant uh, uh, contention with uh, with his neighbor. And uh, there really was. There's really was no, there has never been a particular answer to that question, and uh, in, in, in prior in prior history, and and the the new thing that happened was when they found out the concept of private property, they found out that th- there is one motivation that motivates nearly nearly not all but nearly everybody. In, in any particular society, and that is the uh, desire to uh, provide for their own for their family, and that they're, they're, if you if you try to if you uh, work hard and keep your in uh, your behavior is uh, is uh, consistent with the norms of your society, and if that leads to your the uh, uh, happiness uh, and the joy of of, of your family, then that is a, it's, it's almost a, a natural law. And that is really the fund, fundamental I- insight uh, for, uh, for the, uh, for the, uh, the whole, the whole market uh, economy that we, that we have. And the second issue is that there is, there are two kinds of freedom. There is freedom from and freedom for. Uh, and you know, freedom from most people have worked most of their lives to have freedom from things like uh, sickness and poverty and uh, and ignorance and uh, and criminal uh, behavior and so on. But the other the other side of that is what I what what are you what are you do you have freedom to do what what is your freedom for? For freedom for what? Well, that's where the pursuit of happiness comes in. You know, we we always hear about uh, the uh, the inalienable right to to uh, uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And people don't talk much about the pursuit of happiness. But really, if you look at at what what really is the ultimate goal of most people, it's to be happy. In order to be happy, you have to have a certain amount of freedom to uh, to uh, uh, acquire the knowledge and the uh, companionship and the respect of other people, and and uh, to satisfy your own uh, desires, and 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 yet to do that within the limits uh, that you are accorded uh, by a just society. And that's that's why you need uh, uh, credible law and order to uh, to uh, develop the uh, uh, the uh, to resolve differences of uh, you know in, in normal society. So if you put those things all together, there's really only one system that's ever been invented for the in the history of mankind and humankind, I should say. Uh, and that is uh, the uh, this uh, system that we are in of a uh, a democratic uh, a democratic capitalist society. 
And we just said, you're right about we haven't we haven't bragged about that enough. We haven't even talked about it, let alone defended it. We've defended it in a formal sense in our in our legal life and and in our civic uh, life, but we haven't really talked about the idealism and the morality that is implied with it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, again, I mean, these are important aspects that comes into play because. Uh, you know, because it, it, it's absolutely right. I mean, this is a thing that we need to talk about, the moral aspect of what it is you do. You bring it up very nicely. You know, you know you've given some really good examples. You know, I'm, I'm kind of in that mode of, you know, somebody, you know, again, I'll go back to the charity side of the equation. I think it was, you know, the late, you know, Peter Drucker talked about the, the high percentage and the number of people involved in the charitable section of our economy, that it was in the billions, it was as much as like 10% of the workforce were non-profit. Well, in order for these non-profits to exist, you have to have money profits. to provide profits to provide people who can write the checks for charity. And so, and, uh, and that doesn't come. That doesn't come just yeah. by birth, like it does in most uh, societies before, before uh, we came, before Americans came along. You know, the, you were born into a nobility, and you, or you were, you were a landowner, and you really had nothing to do with with it. You didn't have to earn it. You didn't even have to earn the right to keep it. And occasionally, you had a war. You had to go to that. You had to somehow take care of it. That was an obligation that everybody had. But um, that idea that, and, and you know, a lot of what, what we hear in socialism still comes from that fundamental concept that uh, the uh, ordinary people had in, in, uh, in, in feudalism where they, they saw the rich as having a unaccountable uh, depth of uh, of riches and uh, possessions and uh, and leisure and education and so on. It just that, but their their treasure was unlimited, and so therefore, what they did is they tried to take over the government as they did in the French Revolution, for example. And they and the Bolsheviks tried the same, did the same thing. They took they took over the society, and they kicked out the uh, the uh, royalty. And they then thought that they could take that, they could just do anything that they wanted to do with the uh, money that uh, and the possessions that the royalty had that they had just uh, taken over. And it's not, and they did not understand nor. And, and, and frankly, it was not understood by anybody as to how how you earn how how could they the the very rich uh, what right did they have to to, to be rich and uh, this idea of trying to work your way up in uh, in a social socially mobile society that goes right along with this idea of freedom and this idea of uh, of uh, trying to have a uh, a society that that is uh, 
uh, controlled by common assent to what is good and, and what is bad, what is evil. And all of these things came to play in this in this evolving capitalist society. But the capitalist society had a lot of bad problems in it, in, in its history. And, you know, those have been gradually worked out, and uh, they're still there, some, some of them. But at least there's a, been a tremendous amount of, as you as you mentioned, also as of evolution in in this uh, free market society that uh, now has to be understood by by the people that are coming up and to t- to tell them that that uh, that America is terrible and America is uh, with is all evil and that uh, everything is built on slavery. I mean that is just not true. And uh, we're now going to step aside for a couple of minutes here. You're listening to the Resistance Hour uh, on the Bachelor News Radio Network. You might know me. I'm 50 Cent. You may follow my tweets, my Facebook friends. Odds are a few in six degrees separate us. We're that close. What's crazy is one in six don't know where their next meal is coming from. These are your co-workers, your neighbors, your friends. Hunger's too close for us to ignore. So visit feedingamerica.org slash hunger and find your local food bank to see how you can make a difference. From one close friend to another, let's do this. I'm 50 Cent, and together we are Feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council. Oh, and don't forget, this particular last segment of the show is going to be sponsored by Commercial uh, Napa Auto Parts. And if you want to call in, 646-929-0130. 646 whether or not you think free market is moral or immoral. Or if you just want to call in and say, Tom, Larry, you guys are just the best. Napa know-how. The Napa guy knows not to judge a man by his car's multicolored paint job or absence of modern gadgetry. Who cares if it's technically old enough to vote and the windows are powered by the strength of your left arm? Your monthly payment is zero, and it'll stay that way. Because with over 500,000 parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep anything on the road. She may not be pretty, but she's all yours. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. You're listening to the Bachelor News Radio Network with uh, Dr. Larry and Tom Donaldson. And uh, we're waxing philosophical this uh, this evening. So, uh, Tom, I just had my say, and uh, I think it's your turn. <laughs> Well, I mean, like I said, I mean, I think we've kind of covered the aspects of this ground because it kind of goes into, you know, exactly, uh, you know, where we're at, you know, economically speaking, uh, and into Bidenomics because, you know, I'll go back to the beginning of this show, and I did this in my first book, and I'm doing this in the book I am presently at finishing the final editing steps, but is you know, you know, how the importance private sector of people like myself, yourself, uh, and other entrepreneurs of creating growth. If you don't include that aspect in your thinking, you're going to have a failed economy. Uh, if you want to know the difference between Ronald Reagan's recovery versus Barack Obama's recovery, you know, the reason why, I mean, Reagan's recovery was double in growth. And, and if you look at the you know even if you look at the in, 
You know, it was where basically every group saw a rise in their income. That could not be said necessarily with the Obama recovery, which was one half of that of the Reagan recovery. You know, those are numbers, but there's a human cost when you live in a town where the business leaves. You can't get that job uh, because the job is gone or the jobs are gone. And, and there's another – but the real aspect comes into play is that Ronald Reagan understood in free markets. He loved free markets. And maybe the difference between, let's say, a Donald Trump and a Barack Obama is Trump loved, loves capitalism. He may not be a perfect you – know, he may not have had the perfect economic plan. You can have your argument with it, but the man loved capitalism. He loved the market. He loved the fact that he could start his own business and a business which he now shares with his, with his children. Obama, on the other hand, I never got the impression this guy understood markets and that there was a love for the market. And you certainly don't see that with Joe Biden, that there's a love for the market. He's been in government for so long, I doubt. I mean, the only aspect of profit-making he's ever done is making deals with governments to, ba- to bail out his family. You know, that's his idea of economics. Uh, well, that really is true. Uh, and I, that, that's really behind all this discussion we've been having because I, I, I'm more and more convinced that he really is um, trying to lead America into a socialist uh, society. And this business about Cuba in, in, is a case in point. You know, they, they have never, uh, and anybody in the administration has ever said anything about uh, the reason for the unrest of the Cuban people today is not is uh, not is, is they've, they've ascribed it to different reasons like not having enough uh, of the vaccine and and uh, being uh, having uh, the uh, boycotts and uh, from uh, U.S. and, and other uh, other countries which have caused shortages in their food and, and sustenance and so on. But never have they mentioned that, it's, that what they're really revolting against is a communist government. They, you know, they refuse to uh, condemn uh, communism, which we've been fighting now as a country since 1946. Uh, it's, yeah. it's, it, it's, it, and, and there's a good reason why they haven't done that. Because that's what they—that's where they want to lead America. Well, you know, yeah. I mean, this, like I say, this is one of those no-brainers. Especially if you think you want to win Florida in 2024, or if you want to, let's say, challenge, have a candidate challenge, you know, Ron DeSantis for the governor's race or Rubio for the Senate race. You know, this is one of those no-brainers. You would think that they'd be out there tomorrow morning. They'd be out there like they. They should have been out there immediately saying, you know, viva la Cuba, you know, viva la Cuba, long live Cuba, libertad Cuba, liberty for Cuba. Uh, but they don't do those things. And, you're, and there's an aspect that's there that you agree with, that, that, A, deep down inside, the Democratic Party today is the Socialist Party of America. It's not the liberal party. It's not even a party of the left. It's a party of socialism. Now, they can define socialism in any way, but I'll go back to my original point. 
You know, they don't have a role defined for the private sector. Or they don't have an aspect of the sector grows the economy. They have an exec, a, a factor that the sec, private sector as it exists, exists to benefit government policies, which, by the way, is what I would view the word beginning of what fascism will turn up in America. You know, is that, uh, fact, I'll tell you what, do you ever remember, the, uh, did you ever see the movie Schindler's List? What was the name of it? The Schindler's List. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Talk about Enterprise. (laughs) Yeah. Well, here's the thing that found it. This was the interesting aspect of the story. Because, you know, Nazi Germany allowed private companies to exist, but they existed to do the will of the government. Okay. You want to build, we want you to build a Volkswagen, and while you're at it, build three or four tanks. And Schindler was one of these men who never really was successful as a businessman before the war. He wouldn't be successful after the war. But he had, you know, he was basically told by the Nazis, here's the deal. You're going to get a factory. We're going to provide you with a workforce you don't have to pay. They'll be coming from the camp nearby. And you get to keep all the, you know, you get to keep X percent of the profit. We just want you to build, you make bullets, make Tons and tons and tons of bullets, and you get to keep, and you get a nice prize at the end. In other words, they allowed him to exist as a private sector only if he did what they wanted him to do, which was make bullets. And the aspects of the story is he looked at his workers, who were essentially considered not you know, not human by the Nazis, and came to the realization. That you know, these are human beings. I can't let them. I got to make sure that they live. And he essentially used the money that he was getting to bribe, you know, the commandant of the Nazis, the commandant of the camp, to make sure that his workers did not end up in a gas chamber. And he ended up throwing away everything he had anyway because he had a conscience. But but if people understood how the you know what you know what. Nazis were doing with the private sector or fascism was doing, you know, the fact that they allowed corporation doesn't make it a capitalist society. It simply means you're allowing companies to exist as a means to end. This is what you see in China. You know, you know, billionaires can exist in China, but in final analysis, you know, the Chinese it's government reminds the billionaire, I'm in charge. And if you and if you if I decide you're no longer useful to me, you will, you know, you'll understand, you know, no useful to me, you won't exist. And that's the, well, you know, and that's, and that's where I think we're headed in some ways to that point, where you have a philosophy that says the private sector is to do the sector for the government. We want GM to build electric cars. We want, uh, uh, Exxon to build windmills. You do that, we'll let you exist. If you don't do that, you're going to have a hard time existing in our world. Well, one, of the, one of the fundamental uh, assumptions of um, socialism is just plain wrong, and that is their view of of human nature is that if everybody has the has equal resources. 
physical and and emotional and and every other way that that you could do that as was educational intellectual yeah, but anyway everybody is has the is the equal in terms of their uh, uh of their possessions that they'll all be happy and and that's just wrong because human nature human beings are competitive by nature and there's always somebody around who begins to take advantage of the other people if everybody else is living in in uh, domestic tranquility and he sees an opportunity to take over and get them to do he, what he wants them to do for his benefit whether it be a factory or a mine or or uh, uh, crops and uh, farming or whatever it is and eventually he's going to do it and that's why we have criminals that's why we have uh, very strong uh, uh, urges for power on the part of politicians there's always somebody who wants to take advantage of the other people and if they don't fight him back he's going to do it and and eventually in every so so social society socialist society it ends up in a dictatorship because there are these uh, rapacious people who are going to rise to the top on the on the on the bones and the blood of other people, and and because of their ruthlessness and because of their ambition and because of their strength, and it's just the same as it was in the, in the barbarian uh, tribes of uh, of the world and in the year. Uh, uh, you know, the first year before before Christ and after Christ, it, it's there's always somebody that's going to do that, and if you haven't figured out how to how to keep those people from uh, taking power, they're going to take it, and they won't be happy unless they have it, and that's a fundamental that's a fundamental uh, problem in the whole socialist scheme. And that's why they all turn into di dictatorships. Yeah. Well, that's it, because here's the thing. Once you eliminate the idea of freedom, the, of the market, the freedom of the market, what else is there left in this respect? Because here's a here's – a, I think there's even a step further, all right? You know, there are a lot of different groups, the Heritage Foundation, Cato, the Fraser Institute in Canada, and other groups, you know, have done yearly – what I call freedom index. They'll literally look at countries and they and they'll say, "What's your freedom index? What's your economic freedom index?" And there are two things that comes that when you look at the freedom index, you look at the top 30 countries in income, top 30 countries in economic freedom. They are some. They are the most wealthiest, and they're the most freest politically, not just economically, but politically. In other words, economic freedom, political freedom go hand in hand. One can coexist. And, and those are the – I mean, again, it goes back to the morality of what we're talking about because uh, because in the market economy, you know, your competition is set to make you being the best you can be, whether it's business, sports, you figure it out, you, you know, you can talk about, you can, you know, you know define it. But – Freedom is an aspect of markets that you can't deny, and and it's something that socialism 
just quite frankly, we look for this way. You know, I once heard the phrase, you know, a, a gentleman once talked about democratic socialism. He said, you know, the problem with democratic socialism, when the democratic part uh, conflicts with the socialist part, the socialist part always wins. And that, and that, that always happens. Every, every example yeah. in history shows the same, the same result. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and it's just, I mean, that's, and I think that thing is, I mean, this has been a great conversation. I know we were going to originally talk about the economy, but I think it's a good idea to talk about the foundation of what the economy is built on. It's not just dollars and cents. Now, uh, but it's something deeper and more moral than that. Uh, you know, it's not just prosperity. It's the fact that you have the opportunity to move up the economic ladder. Prosperity comes as a result of that freedom. It comes as a result of a freedom of somebody in their garage coming up and ended up building a computer, which later becomes a trillion-dollar company. It is the... Uh, you know, the freedom and the ability to say, I'm going to go to the moon and build a rocket, which is what Elon Musk and Richard Branson are now doing, pursuing dreams that, let's say, are there. It's like, you know, we still have dreams. We're still dreaming. Uh, or as they say in that one, and they say on Star Trek, you know, the final frontier. But entrepreneurship does that. And let me give you one what I thought bizarre, most bizarre interview, and I got, then I'll let you uh, finish this. The last two minutes up, Brian Seltzer of CNN, not one of the most brilliant, not one of the brightest reporters out there. He's talking about Richard Branson going to the, you know, going into space, and he's talks about why is he doing this? We got a climate crisis, and I thought to myself, we have a man who's escaping the boundaries. Shooting for the moon, not just figuratively, but literally. And you got this n- n- idiot who's basically worried about you know, whatever and trying to basically get people to quit dreaming, essentially. That's the difference. Dreamers versus the non-dreamers. And the non-dreamers are now winning in many aspects of our culture. Okay, I'm a I know we got a few minutes left, so I'm going to let you finish up here. Well, I think there's also the the ordinary people, the followers, and the people who's who uh, are not uh, the uh, billionaires that are shooting for uh, outer space, but who are working uh, in the grocery stores and the and the uh, real estate offices and so forth in the society. But they too have dreams, and and they if 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 we can create a climate in which the, their dreams uh, can be uh, accommodated in in a fair and and uh, and equal way, uh, then I think that that is probably ultimately even more the signature of a successful society. Than 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 uh, the stars, the stars are the people that uh, get out there and do the things like uh, like going to the going to the moon when you're uh, the the first uh, uh, civilian to do that. 
but there, but behind him is a, is a lot of other people, and if those people are taken care of and those people can uh, fulfill their own uh, destinies as they see them, and that they can pursue happiness and perhaps find it, uh, then uh, that 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 is a a signature of success, and I think in in any society. And uh, that is what, uh, among other things, what America has always stood for and which we pursue diligently each day in each way and each in our own way. And so with that thought, uh, we're, uh, gonna st we're going to uh, say good, good night and uh, God bless America and God bless all of us Americans. All right. Well, we did it. Yeah, hold on a second here. Because I just did something stupid. What? Being uh, stupid here, because I... We're off the air, right? Uh, well, we're sort of off the air. Oh, this will be edited out. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well... Okay. Uh, I thought it was one of our better shows. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, uh, see you next week. <laughs> see you next week, yeah. Good night. Good night. With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.